welcome to another episode of the Caged Vision podcast with Carrie Rome and a very special guest from Memphis, Justin Miller. Justin, thanks for being on the show. Carrie, thank you so much for having me. Really excited to be uh, on the air with you. Well, I'm excited for people to learn about you and Slingshot Memphis, which is a really, really cool um, charitable giving investment strategy, analytics, just a, a lot of amazing things that you're doing to help um, help a lot of nonprofits do better work and dollars go further. That's layman's terms. Um, yeah, so you're doing some really cool things. So I can't wait to get into that. Um, yeah, as I, as each week when we start the show, we do something a little bit goofy, um, Justin. And I typically ask steak or fish, beach or mountains, east or west coast. But I've decided to uh, to introduce the family game. It's uh, it's a box of questions that we do with my family, and it's really really fun. And you draw a a card. You get to ask the question. So I, the card I've drawn for you is, if you were in charge of the music for your family vacation, which songs would you select? Hmm. That's good stuff. Well, my knee-jerk response, and I'm a big fan of knee-jerk responses, is jazz. So we have a son uh, and a daughter, 14, 13 years of age, and our daughter, her name is Miles. We love jazz. We love Miles Davis. We love music without words so i think i probably would rock out a lot of miles davis and maceo parker and 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 that kind of music but my son he loves rap and so do we we probably would listen to that and the funky meters from new orleans oh yeah and the uh, meters. maybe in the meters yeah it's been a long time but you know that kind of music when we're on vacation just kind of upbeat uh, background music where we could still have good conversations. So I think that's what I'd play. Oh, I love it. All right. So listen, Justin, you've got, you're doing some amazing things right now. And, um, but I want to go back. I want you to take me in, I call it the way back machine. You know, you've got a, you, you clearly had a vision for doing what you're doing now. Um, and this is called the caged vision podcast. And our goal each week is to help, people who listen, uh, help them um, with encouragement and confidence to take that next step. So hmm. take me way back. And, and when was it the first time that you, uh, you knew that this thing called vision, or maybe you didn't even know it was professionally called vision? But how did you know that, you know, I really need to hold on to this idea and maybe nurture it? Well, all right. Well, I'll go way, way back. I'll go back to, um, I guess, undergrad. When I, when I finished undergrad, I kind of went in, in, in thinking I was going to be a lawyer or a doctor and, and quickly segued into history and theology and, and psychoanalysis, wanting to be a counselor, a theologian, a teacher, which led me to, to seminary and not to be a pastor, uh, but to be, a, again, a counselor, an educator, a teacher, a writer, uh, which I did for several years. And one of the reasons I chose that field um, was I've always been interested in finding that intersection of value between what I'm good at, what I care about, what I'm passionate for, and, and couple that with what the world needs. Mm. Um, and so that intersection of value, if, if you will, between, again, what I'm built to do and what, what might be good for, for the world. And so 
for six or seven years, I was, I was an educator. I was a teacher, a counselor, chaplain, coach, administrator at a school, uh, actually here in Memphis. And I love that work. I uh, worked hard at it and was pretty good at it. Um, I, I came to this, this, this proverbial crossroads where I was either going to be a head of a school somewhere, be an educator forever, at least in my head I would have been, or do something different. I chose the latter. Uh, I've got a history of taking calculated risks. <laughs> if you look at my resume, and uh, I'm a big believer in that, uh, I think uh, it's where we grow the most. And so I became an investment broker with an uh, investment firm, Morgan Keegan, who later became Raymond James. And I worked with them for about six or seven years, and I, I helped municipalities and, and money managers and, and credit unions, banks manage their investments. Uh, worked really hard. Uh, and enjoyed that, built a book of business, and my family and I uh, actually moved down to one of our favorite places in the world, uh, the beach. Uh, a lot of people from Birmingham, Memphis, Southeast, oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, frequent the, the 30A, the, the stretch of highway of, of uh, the northwest panhandle of Florida. Yeah. And we were there, and we were content. We were having a really good time, had a great social network. But back to your vision, I, I continued having this, this, this idea that, you know, what is that intersection of value between what I'm good at and what the world might need? Uh, and, and ultimately, that, that vision became louder, uh, not necessarily clearer, but, but louder. And, and we, we ended up moving back to Memphis to do something. We didn't know what it was, but we, we decided to give up my book of business and, and came back to Memphis, ultimately to start raising capital for a bunch of different good organizations here in Memphis. I was, Carrie, somewhat uh, – like a, a philanthropic broker, uh, less the commissions. I was helping stand in the gap between people with resources and ultimately people who desperately needed them. Mm. And I was good at it. And I, and I, had, I raised a tremendous amount of capital that wouldn't have been raised otherwise. And I was able to invite a lot of people who were, I guess, on the sideline, so to speak, to relinquish more of their resources in a way that was meaningful to them, their family, their business, and so on. But to flesh the vision out further, I quickly, quickly, quickly learned that there was no feedback loop. I naively assumed that the, the, the money, the resources that I was going to raise for these organizations, I was going to be able to relay back to the investor or to the, the donor in this case what his or her or their investment was doing in the world. And I just couldn't. Aside from outputs, aside from anecdotal information and qualitative stories, I really couldn't talk about return on investment. I really couldn't go deeper with these investors. So was and it a, wasn't – go ahead. No, I was just going to say just before I, I, I pause, it is no judgment upon the nonprofit sector. Many of these nonprofits, whether it was a food pantry or a women's shelter or a charter school, are doing amazing things. They just don't have the bandwidth or the resources to have a feedback loop that is really meaningful. Hmm. And it's a donor-driven problem, to be quite frank. And so from that work, I decided, you know what, I can raise a lot of capital, but if we're spreading it around like peanut butter, if we don't have a conduit to pivot and make better decisions over time, I don't know if things are going to get better. And so from that, we birthed Slingshot to do that on behalf of our uh, nonprofit portfolio. Okay. I love that story. Um, I listened to you on another podcast, so I was familiar with it, and, I, and I'm so glad that you told it. On that journey, I want to go back and, and ask a couple of questions. Number one, as you were a teacher, that intersection of value. When you're a teacher, I would imagine that 
um, it's easier to see that intersection of value than it is when you're a working at Morgan Keegan. Is that fair? Hmm. Um, I, I guess in, in the sense maybe where, where what's undergirding the question is in a, in a more meaningful sense, uh, as, as it might relate to vocation, but in some ways it was more difficult. It's more intangible. Right. And so when I was a investment broker, it was very quantitative. My value add was quite literally calculated on a daily basis. Um, now, was that experienced in the same way when I was working with a child or working with a, a family through an issue that was really important to, 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 their, to their life at the time? No. Um, so I guess it's a, a long winded way of saying yes and no. So do you think that was what was tugging at your heart when you were at the beach was really this, this combination of both experiences of, of teach being a, a teacher and working with a very real um, quantitative, you can see that you can see what's happening measure very specifically. Is it the combination of those two that said, this is, I don't know what it is, but I've got to go do something different. It's funny you said that. I've never thought about it in those terms, but I actually, now that you say it, I think absolutely there was this, maybe the subconscious um, uh, recognition that things are quantifiable, hmm. right? A lot more so than I thought they, you know, than, than, than I thought they were beforehand. And so how might, the, the, the investment principles, the investment logic that I learned as an investment broker uh, dovetail with, you know, providing high quality education to under-resourced students, or how might that help a donor make a better decision and be the best steward of her or his gifts possible? That's amazing. So when you're, so you're at the beach and I can imagine, you know, it didn't happen overnight, but at some point when you're saying, I think we need to move back to Memphis and I'm not sure what we're going to do when we get there, but I'm pretty sure we need to go. Is that sort of, I mean, is it, is that sort of how the conversation went? Yeah. I, you know, yes. Um, my, my wife, my better half, you know, she certainly was, was a part if not driving the conversation about what was best for our family. One of the things that I mentioned earlier is, is our, our, the way in which we embrace risk and, and try and model that and encourage our, our children to do the same thing, to take calculated risks uh, for themselves and for others. And so we, you know, we had moved down to the beach. Our kids at the time were, let's, let's say four and five, five and six. And, you know, we had ripped them out of their social network. They landed at the beach and after three years, they got really comfortable. And then we ripped them back out and, you know, <laughs> uh, took, took them right back to where we left in the first place. And, and that in and of itself was invaluable for our family. Yeah. You know, watching our children have to negotiate that change and we did it together and there were tears and high fives along the way but i have zero doubt now that my children again are 14 and 13 i have zero doubt that that has played a, a tremendous role in their growth a no, tremendous no. role and I, yeah so it was about ultimately about slingshot it was about my vocation and it was about my wife and it was about my children and, uh, you know, she was really smart uh, to, to remind all of us that, you know what, 
you can you can move down to the beach and you know what you can move back mm-hmm. you can you can move back to memphis or you can move back to the beach i think sometimes we set um our, our worldview is so bubblicious right we think it's all or none yeah. in in you i think thinking about cage vision i think she has an amazing vision as a as a as a mom as a wife as an entrepreneur as a friend about look it's it's not as big of a deal as sometimes we make it. Oh my gosh. And so how how might we give ourselves permission to take more risks to do more good? Oh my gosh. All right. So I always try to try to get at least one nugget from each show and this is the nugget because give yourself permission. So many people they're stuck on go. They 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 have an idea and they don't nurture it. They don't do anything with it, and it and sort of gnaws at them. And our goal is to encourage them to do to do more. Um, as you as you've started Slingshot, and you're clearly one that you know believes that that God is going to guide you through a journey, and you are going to be there in the journey, and you're going to you have confidence that you'll navigate through whatever whatever's thrown your way. But as you're working with, when you hit challenges and, and when, you, when you're working with nonprofits, what do you think is the one thing that separates somebody with just an idea from others that have an idea and then execute and start to see it through? Hmm. Yeah. Well, let me, before I respond, let me expand that question just a touch. And I want to add, if you'll, if you'll, if you'll, uh, Give me the honor. I want to add the funding community to this question. Mm-hmm. So yes, Slingshot is positioned to help nonprofits, but we are ultimately positioned to change the ecosystem. As as many of us know, the ecosystem, in large part, the poverty-fighting ecosystem that is, is driven by the funding community. And so, in my experience, most of us, myself included, we gravitate toward that which already exists. You know, we want to iterate our way to change, um, and it can be really dangerous. In this, in this case, we're actually talking about creating a lot uh, more justice and equity for our under-resourced neighbors who desperately deserve it. And so Memphis is, is quite literally the most generous city per capita in the country, and we're the most poor. And in many cases, things haven't changed for a long period of time. For the most part, there is no feedback loop for us to make better decisions. And so back to your question, what I am inspired by, whether it's my wife or whether it's a nonprofit leader or a board of directors or whether it is a funder who says, let's be more vulnerable and let's let's speak truth to one another and talk about how terribly challenging this work is. Is it working? Great. Let's do more of it. If it's not, how do we shut it down or pivot? accordingly. And so back to this, this, this permission, I think in my humble experience, real leaders are really want to know the answer to that question. Yeah. Is it yeah. working? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's perfectly said. The, the tendency can be uh, to, to start something and then, as you mentioned, go back to what we already know sometimes. So mm. if if you start something and things, you get a curveball, you just sort of default to what your previous expertise was and you end up That's just, right. just having a job, but not having an impact. And so I'm mm-hmm. glad you said that because it's really, really good. So once you, 
once you've got this idea and it's formed, how do you, how do you test and validate and scale? How, how are you yeah. guys doing that at Slingshot? Once you, day one, you opened up, it was 2017, right? Uh, that's correct. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so you open the doors and you say, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to change Memphis. And, and then how, do, how does that, how does that look once you, once you start to test and validate and scale? Yeah. It's funny you say we're going to change Memphis, our new tagline, we're about to be more visible in the community, but uh, it is change the way we change Memphis, which is really interesting. I like that. Um, yeah, it's it's a different um, it's a different model, and it's it's what we're doing. It's a lot of people are changing Memphis. We're we're trying to change the way we change Memphis. Mm. Um, anyhow, uh, you know, to, to your question, Carrie, I, I spent a lot of time beta testing the need for this in the community. This idea, creating a a more results driven poverty fighting ecosystem, has has played out very well in other places, other pockets of the country, like Silicon Valley and Chicago and D.C. and in New York, to name a few. In Memphis, there's no better time, no better time to follow suit. And so what I did is I, I met with a tremendous amount of people and I started to, to garner more attention from people who saw a similar enough vision that I saw and, and, and created a board of directors and started to cobble together a staff who were willing to take some pretty serious risks uh, with me. And, you know, Around validation and scalability, it's it's interesting. I think you'll this will resonate with you. It's you know for a startup in particular, any good idea, but a startup in particular, on one hand, it is amazing that we have been validated by the the usual output that validates something like we've raised five point six million dollars in two and a half years, and we really haven't even tried. Wow. We've got a team of people from all over the world who have come to Memphis to do this work. We were just invited to go present our algorithm, our impact assessment to Paris. We're going to be in Paris next uh, November, or, or yeah, in, in November. We're the only organization in North America that's presenting to heads of state from all over the world. So these things are validation. We have a portfolio of 24 nonprofits right now. All of this happened within three years. But I, I would argue that there is validation also in the pushback we're getting. The system itself, the usual suspects, if you will, don't like this. No, no. And that's that's a good thing, right? And so how how can we how can we create these these milestones or these uh, different goalposts, if you will? And on one hand, if everyone loved what Slingshot is doing in Memphis, we probably wouldn't be doing that much. Right. And so it's a, I guess what I'm saying is there's a lot of ways that we have, our model is needed. It's been validated. And part of that validation comes from a very concerted effort to disqualify the need for this work in Memphis. Expand on that. The, the last part to disqualify the need. Yeah. So what we're doing is really, really tough. There are nonprofits that don't really want to know that what they're doing might not have the impact they thought it did. Yeah. Equally powerful, Carrie, there are donors 
good people, good, amazing people and organizations that have been invested in certain things for a long period of time, and they truly don't want to know that their investment hasn't had the impact. They thought it did. Mm. It is scary. It is scary. Uh, you know, our philanthropy is often very relational, and it is emotion. emotional. Uh, yeah, it's emotional, and that's not a bad thing. But if it really is, in our, in our case, if it really is about creating justice for the least of these, if it really is creating more justice and to love our neighbors as ourselves, we've got to be more honest about it. And so we're, we're checking under the hood, uh, so to speak, and, and that, can be, that can be really scary. So we do this work with a tremendous amount of rigor and objectivity, but we also do this with grace and humility and patience because we recognize this is this is hard stuff, and um, that's one thing that we look for in our, our team members. Well, I see. Uh, you know, I, I sort of anticipated the first part that nobody really wants to. Maybe maybe nonprofits who um, haven't had people or an organization ask hard questions. I could see why you know they might be a bit reluctant. I'm surprised by the donor, uh, not but initially surprised, but once you say it, it makes all the sense in the world. Nobody really wants to be told that the investment you've been making has been a poor investment. That's right. And it's not. And, and not many people, I'm sorry to interrupt you, Carrie. I would, I would add to that. Not many people want to look at uh, their investments in relation to other investments they're making in the world. And I'll just give you one of 30 examples, the church, capital C. You know, there, there are many churches in our area, and I'm sure in Birmingham and other cities around the country, I'm certain of it, I know it firsthand, that are spending more money on flowers, literally, than they are under-resourced neighbors. Wow. And so what Slingshot is built to do over time is to, is to shed more light on that. And it's not to judge anyone or to create discord. It's the opposite. Over time, it's to create more transparency and more urgency. What if we harnessed our generosity, our amazing generosity, toward things that had the most impact wouldn't things change and so i really the more i've gotten into this we're three years into it now carrie and as one of our board directors said you know what proof of concept is over let's throw some gasoline on it it is working oh my gosh all and right go you just you just teed up my next question which is how do you know when it's time to put so a board member came to you you you, you well let me back up you started by going out and beta testing the market. You put a board together, you put staff together, you, you sort of tested the concept. You clearly have an algorithm that's working. When do you know? How, the board member, how did they know? How, how do you know now that this is, sure, we're gonna tweak and modify, but the, the time for big shifts and changes, if we've sort of moved past that, now it's time to really accelerate what we're doing. Yeah. Um, you know, it's probably, there's probably a lot of things, but I would, if I had to narrow it down to one theme, it would be this for the last three years. And I still feel this way to some degree that I'm going to turn the corner one day, or I'm going to, I'm going to happen upon a meeting or a group of people that were already doing this in some way, shape or form. Some group of people, certainly with the hundreds of millions of dollars in private philanthropy, private philanthropy that's going into the city, certainly someone has a feedback loop. Hmm. 
that's making really good decisions because most of the money that has been made to then go into private philanthropy is made in, uh, uh, of course, the for-profit sector where there's an amazing feedback loop. There's actionable intelligence to help us make better decisions over time for our families, for our shareholders, for our, our colleagues. It doesn't exist. And so we're three years into it now, and we're working with small organizations and large organizations. We're working with foundations in some cases who are asking all the wrong questions. Hmm. I'll give you one example, Carrie, and maybe if nothing else, I hope our listeners listen to this. You know, if we're asking a nonprofit organization how many people they serve, that can be a bad question in and of itself. In other words, we're implicitly, or if not explicitly, encouraging people to serve a lot more people. In some cases, you need to serve less people better. Mm-hmm. And so Slingshot is, in a nutshell, is, is built to do that really well. Man, I love that. Great question as well. So tell me about the next 10 years. What's your vision you're starting to really, really hit your stride. It feels like what's your vision mm. for the next 10 years? Someone told me last week and I, I wrote it down. I thought this was uh, profound. They said, we typically overestimate what can happen within three years. And we typically underestimate what can happen within 10 years. Uh, and I've thought about that a lot lately. And so your question is, is timely. Uh, in some ways, I firmly believe that Slingshot should be working overtime to put itself out of business. Um, could that happen within 10 years? Potentially. If the next generation of investors and if the, the, the ecosystem of nonprofits began asking the right questions, if we, using our algorithm and our impact assessment, create an application or a model or something that is highly replicable, uh, which we're working on, does Slingshot need to be around in 10 years? I'm not really sure. Um, I know it's going to look a lot different if we are around in 10 years. I know that there are many cities, uh, Birmingham being one of them, who has reached out to Slingshot and have said, we, we want this here. And so I, I believe that what Slingshot is building is really, really important here in Memphis. Uh, if it can work in Memphis, it can work anywhere. But I absolutely believe, and I've, I've searched far and wide, nothing like this exists anywhere. Uh, it, it doesn't. What we're doing is very cost-effective. It's extremely accurate, and it's scalable. It's replicable. And so the reason we're going to, again, Paris next month is to talk to the world about it, to talk to NGOs and heads of state and other nonprofit organizations to begin asking the right questions to ultimately estimate the impact that they're having so that they can create more of it. And so within the next, I, I don't know, if, if we're solvent, if we're still around six months from now, and I think we will, all systems suggest that we will, um, I think we're gonna be in different places. And I think our portfolio is gonna grow, and I think we're, uh, knock on wood, I think we're gonna raise a significant amount of capital to create more good. Well, I absolutely, I love where you guys are headed. I would, anything I can do in Birmingham to help, help out, please. Um, let me know. We can talk about that offline. But how do people follow what Slingshot is doing? How do they how do they get in touch with you or uh, other employees and and just learn about what you're working on? Well, uh, 
so I'm going to say two things. One, I'm glad you brought up employees. What I say often, and I think this is for all uh, the people that listen out there, is like any any good vision, any good roadmap uh, to success, any 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 blueprint that makes sense is only as good as the people that execute it. Mm. And so Slingshot's vision is grand and it is beautiful. But look on our website, slingshotmemphis.org. Look at our look at our team. Look at our board of directors. Look at what they've done. And look at how they're uniquely equipped to potentially pull this off. So I think that really matters, the team that you build. Um, but to answer your question, our website's a great place to start, uh, slingshotmemphis.org. Uh, we're actually about to roll out a new website in the next couple of weeks and uh, be way more visible in the community for a bunch of different reasons, mainly because we have something to say. So on our website, you can uh, find out uh, a little bit more about us and what we do and how we do it. You can also sign up for our, our stakeholder report. I send out a quarterly stakeholder report similar to what a financial advisor might send out to her or his clients, which I find to be really useful. Um, and so that's probably the best start. We're also on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. And so please follow us, like us, share us. Um, uh, we we would love to learn more about what's working in other places too. Well, Justin is, I mean, the, the, I'm on the site now and what you've built and what your board has helped you build and what, who, who you surrounded yourself with and the team. It's just amazing in three years. It's, it's truly is amazing. So congratulations on all that uh, success and the team that you've built. I, I always like to end the show with, with one last question and here we go. If you could give one piece of advice to your 20 year old self, what would it be? Hmm. Gosh, that's a great question. And it's a humbling question. You know, Carrie, I, I have spent a considerable and no regrets here, but I've spent a considerable amount of time studying and I could be a lifelong student. I am, but I mean, in a formal sense, I love to study. I loved graduate school, did two different graduate degrees and uh, went to many different undergrad programs. I love to learn. I spent a lot of time, especially at that age, in a book. Hmm. I wonder, I wonder if I would go back and tell my 20-year-old self, do that, do more of it and do practice and be in the world, hmm. study and think and problem solve and give and learn and be in relationship with people who aren't like you. Mm. You want to solve problems to, to fight poverty. Awesome. You need to, you need to learn the gift of empathy and you need to serve people. You need to, you need to eat and drink with people who are under-resourced. Um, and I, I just, uh, I wonder how much um, my, my understanding of what the world needs would have been shaped better had I been more active in that way. Be in relationship with more people who aren't like you. That is, that's strong, Justin. Goliath, as it were. There's a funny story, by the way, of, of when Justin and I first met, he introduced himself as Goliath. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Justin, thanks for being on the show. Each week, our goal is to bring encouragement and confidence. And man, you just hit it out of the park. I am so proud to know you excited for what you're doing with slingshot memphis thanks for being on the show thanks for getting the word out appreciate you and what you're doing yeah man chat soon be well bye bye